Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Journal Podcast. It is Saturday afternoon, about 3.30, and we're back again. Mitch, how was your week? Oh, just fantastic. Just f- filled of uh, filled of great NBA action, I can't lie. It's fantastic, yeah. My Spotify rap was uh, suspect, but you know. I'm not, a, I'm not a Spotify guy myself. I do use Apple Music. I understand why people like Spotify better, but I actually... Uh, when I was in college, I got the student discount. It's like six bucks. And for whatever reason, I graduated a year ago and they still only charge me six bucks. So I'm just going to stick with Apple Music. Uh, they do a, it's not called rap, whatever they call it. Mine was pretty good. It was basically exactly what I expected it to be. Uh, Spotify. I, I saw a post. I just want to mention this because I want to remember it. I saw a post that someone did. It was like Spotify rap, but like best NBA players. And I just need to say that out loud just so I remember to steal that idea for next year. But uh, let's get into uh, what's been a really exciting week of basketball. The Pistons, a uh, quick update on them, still winless. Um, they have not won. Well, they have two wins on the season, but have not won since we last recorded. Uh, they lost the Tank Fest, got blown out by the Wizards, 126-107. Followed that up by an absolute thrashing by the Lakers, 133-107. And the other night fell just short. They almost, I was watching this game, they almost... Pulled out a win in the garden over the Knicks, but fell short 118-112. 16 straight losses for the Pistons. Um, Boyan does come back today against the Cavs, so we'll see what sort of impact he can have for them. Uh, but they're as down bad as ever. So, uh, yeah, just a quick update on them. I want to move to a couple teams in the Western Conference, because I feel like since we've started these these weekly episodes, we've kind of been neglecting the West. I feel like we've been talking about uh, Eastern Conference teams a lot more. So I want to talk about, first, the Suns, because... They're 19 games into their season. They stand at 11 and 8, and Bradley Beal has played in exactly zero of those games. So I think it's time to start taking a real look at uh, sort of revisiting that trade and thinking like, you know, they really went all in, in a sense, to go get them. And obviously it's had no impact at this point, and we're already a quarter of the way through the season. So what do you think, uh, for one, like what do you think his impact will be when he does return? And has your opinion on the trade changed now that he's already missed as much time? So I think, and I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go back there and say that I called this yet again, but uh, I did say that when Beal was first acquired, like when the big whole shuffle came, when it landed like Nurk with them after everything trickled out and where CP3 ended up, where Jordan Poole was, when I saw that Beal was the big name for the shakeup, and that's who Phoenix, you know, that's their guy. That's they're 100% in on the fact that the big three of Katie Booker and Beal was going to win them a championship, and they didn't care who their primary wing defender was or who their big was. So, you know, shout out Josh Kogi and Yusuf Nurkic. Nurkic has been actually, like, solid as hell. I'll say this. Did they really think that a guy who is has been on a sharp... And I'm not going to say like he's falling off the face of the earth, but I will say that his jumper has been disappearing for the past three years straight. He's been an insane box score guy to like look at. But if you actually watch Wizards games, I know the four people out there that do, they can tell that the production is just not actually translating. So, you know, shout out Beal, pure Hooper, fantastic, but contributing in a championship environment. Obviously, he wasn't going to be the same player. And obviously we haven't seen what like this Suns version of Beal 
it could be in a long stretch, but there's the other thing. His availability has also been like kind of suspect in the past three years anyway, like just in general, in terms of not, not just the rest, but consistently being like ankle tweak here, hand me pull there, uh, night off for personal reasons. Like it's just in, in a general sense, Beal's consistency in terms of availability, because honestly the best kind of availability is being able to lace up. Not just the fact that you can put up 30 on every given night. I, I, I was, questioning the dynamic of how they would work in the first place and i won't lie to you pg booker has has been fucking sick the dude's actually like a facilitator which is awesome but it's just you you put all your chips on an interesting bet and so far you've kind of got nothing to show for it right like you, you're not you're not this like unbeatable titan that everybody like kind of predicted them in like as like you're the sixth seed which before the trade happened, if you predicted Phoenix to be anything but top two, you'd be looking like, what are you talking about? You've got KD, Booker, and Beal. Like, that's a no-brainer top three seed. And you're number six. You're you're struggling to outpace the Lakers and the Pelicans, and this is not what people envisioned for uh, this Suns roster. So what what does the Suns' identity look like with Beal even back? Maybe the fifth, fourth best, te- best team in the West? I, I can't wholeheartedly say that I think Beal drastically makes this team like just an insurmountable favorite to win the title. I'd say that they would become a more lethal team, but we've already seen what like the dynamic of uh, three ludicrous scorers can do in KD, Kyrie, and Harden. And then availability was the big question mark here. So we just loop back to that exact same thing. Cool, cool idea in 2K. When is this going to actually come together and mesh like it's supposed to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the Booker point guard development has been great, but I don't think that necessarily means that Beal just slides in and it's like this great fit. Because yeah. I, I watch them play and I think it's a decent team. I feel like they're better than eleven and eight, but it's not like they're a Bradley Beal away from being contenders. You know, like th- this team is missing much more than a six three score first guard. So I don't know. Like I, I really don't have a good sense of how he's going to fit when he does come back. I also have no sense of when he is going to come back. I don't feel like we've gotten any updates on that. He was supposed to come back a few games ago, and then last minute they decided he wasn't, and now there's just been no word since. So, uh, yeah, it's really – I don't want to call it a disaster because it's still early, but this has definitely not worked out the way that the Suns have hoped, and it doesn't feel like he's just going to come back and everything's just going to be fine. Sure, he's better than Grayson Allen, but I don't know. Like I, I just don't really see how he's going to come in and be – even because you even think back to like when he was paired with John Wall and they were actually a competitive team, he was playing winning basketball and he was playing off the ball and he was, you know, fill, filling a role in a sense as an offensive scorer. But again, like I don't feel like that's necessarily what the Suns need. Sure, they could use another scorer, but that, that doesn't push them over the top. Like you said, probably puts them fourth or fifth in the West, especially with yeah. the way that, that OKC has been playing. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't a huge fan of this trade to begin with uh, going back to last summer. And if he if he's just going to continue to have these availability issues, then this is just never going to work for the Suns. Yeah. But speaking of OKC, I know you wanted to talk about them. They're looking like we're, we're going to talk to Josie later about them and how they sort of match up as contenders in the West. But uh, I know you wanted to get to to the Thunder, so I'm going to let you go off on them for a few minutes. OK, so regardless of the Josh Giddy uh, <laughs> controversy, we'll put a pin in that. The Thunder have been nothing short of amazing 
in terms of like how so they're, they're third in the west they're 12 and 6 they have in my opinion the front runner for rookie of the year in Chet Holmgren uh you know you could do like the Victor Chet kind of like toss up but I think as of right now everybody's ladder should look like Chet as number one. Oh my gosh the diamonds in the rough that they've managed to like so first of all the, the case and wallace draft pick everybody was just like oh my god okay so you got another young one that they're just gonna continue he has been fantastic despite the fact that he's not necessarily like i wouldn't call him like a, a um like he's he's hovering in that like 20 minutes ish mark and it's not as though that he's been like a uh oh we can call on your number and you're going to drop 30, but he's, he's been enough in terms of the second unit to like chip away as like an insane shooter. He is kind of like, he kind of looked like a very like do it all kind of guard, which is great, which brings me to my, my next favorite player, Isaiah Joe, who remember when I was like, Grady Dick can really stroke that thing. This boy can really stroke that thing. <laughs> it is crazy. His jumper is so wet. It's like, I can't even, Watching him shoot the ball is is just like, like, like let's look at the number. 47% from three. My word. Oh, my goodness. Like, if you were to be like, hey, there's going to be multiple 40-plus shooters on this team, and one of them's going to be a center. You know, I, I might have been like, I don't know. Maybe, like, I could see it happening. But, like, they have legitimately three potential guys who can be in that 50-40-90 club, and it is hilarious. So, OKC, Josie had suffered long enough. He's finally, like, the fruition is finally coming. It's funny because, remember, when we were we were kind of talking about would, would OKC really miss Josh Giddy if, you know, he were to be removed for whatever reason. We don't know, like, specula- speculatory reason. Hey, listen, if, if Miles Bridges can literally hit a Street Fighter combo on his significant other, I think whatever goes on with Josh Giddy might look like a slap on the wrist. But they would not miss him if he just vanished from the face of the earth. They have so many guys that can just kind of slide in. I do think that kind of consolidation trade will have to happen soon in terms mm-hmm. of like how the talent trickles out. But as of right now, OKC looks fantastic. Isaiah Joe has like one of the wettest jumpers I've ever seen. Uh, Shea has to still kind of be fluttering between your three and four spot for your MVP rankings. I mean, you could also say like Halley replaces number three right now and then Shays four and then Embiid five flip-flop kind of thing but this OKC team looks fantastic and like I kind of can't wait to see when they actually like hit their stride together because remember in in the grand scheme of things I know it looks it sounds it feels like Shay's been here for a long time he's still only 25 he's still a good two years of full like I run the league kind of like level of play you've got Everybody, I think the average age is 22.5 or something weird for this roster. And I think it's kind of like when you kind of take out everybody who's sitting at the end of the bench. So this this roster is still so young and so good that it's kind of scary to see what 2025 is going to look like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it does look like Josh Giddy is here to stay for now, it seems. But if he was gone, yeah, Isaiah Joe and Kassan Wallace, I think, would, would take up those minutes. No problem. Yeah, like you said, they're both they're both only getting about 20 minutes a game. And Isaiah Joe being he's not actually no, it's Kassan Wallace that's leading the league in three point percentage. But Isaiah Joe hitting over 46% on six attempts a game, over 10 attempts per 36 minutes. Shout out to Lucas Burns. Like having that spacing has been huge for them because you go back to a couple of years ago when they were still very much in the early process of the rebuild, 
you could see that uh, the issue was going to be spacing and putting shooting around SGA. And now they have two absolute snipers with the chat shooting over 40% as well. So, yeah, this team is built for the future, and they might just be built for now. Um, I, I think this is one of the best teams in the West. And the only thing really holding them back is just not having the experience. Like you, that and maybe, I guess, having another big would be nice. But to me, when I look at everyone else in the West besides the Nuggets, I really don't feel strongly about putting any of them over OKC right now. Like the only thing holding me back from having OKC is like the clear number two in the West is just the fact that they haven't done it before. They haven't been there yet and they just haven't proven it. But to this point in the season, like they've shown everything that I think I'd need to see in terms of them being in contention for the West. Yeah. Like there, there hasn't been like a, a game that I've watched that made me go, mm, I don't know. They're, they're still just a little bit away. It's like, no, they they're here and they're here yeah. now and, and they're going to be here for the foreseeable future. So that's, what's even more scary about it. Yeah. Speaking of teams that are here now, the Orlando Magic. We are back to talk about the Orlando Magic, baby. God, I cannot get enough of this team. They've been so fun to watch. They're winners of nine straight now, I believe. Longest win streak in the league. And they're just absolutely rolling, man. Cole Anthony having a six-man-of-the-year campaign. I think he is probably the early favorite. I think there's some really some other really good candidates out there. But to me, Cole Anthony has been the guy. And honestly, Mitch, I, uh, I'm going to take this one up to you. I'm going to let you go off on Cole Anthony. All right. So in terms of if you if you were to define victory by uh, a unit, it would be the Orlando Magic because everybody contributes like across the board. Um, So Franz has been insane. Jalen Suggs during this like stretch of winning has been putting up like 15, three, four and like shooting like 40 percent from three. But I think the guy that a lot of people have like. Not to say that he flew under the radar since Suggs had like this kind of like return to some sort of form but the guy who like has been kind of seriously slept on during this winning stretch would be Cole Anthony yeah I think would people be, forgot would about be, him a little bit would be the guy who's putting up 19 5 and 5 while shooting 43 percent from three during this little winning stretch I think that's the guy that people have kind of been like whoa 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 like where is this it's like make make no mistake Cole Anthony flashed this the entire time that he's been with Orlando the problem is Orlando landed a top five pick in Jalen Suggs who played his position. They had Markel Feltz coming back to form, who played his position. Cole Anthony really had to fight and struggle for like kind of some sort of um, solidified identity within this offense. And then they go ahead and draft Anthony Black, who, you know, at some point people kind of like foresaw, oh, maybe he'd be starting down the line. It's not looking likely. Cole Anthony <laughs> kind of took all of, like he looked at the depth chart. Like if you look at Orlando's depth chart, it's kind of insane. Fultz, Suggs, Cole Anthony, Gary Harris, Anthony Black. Like, you you, you have kind of like a cluster of young guards who are, like, hungry and scrappy. Cole Anthony was just like, you know what? As long as I'm getting my minutes, whether that's starting with the first unit or the second, when my number's called upon, I'll get out there and do it. And he, he's done exactly that. In this winning stretch, it has been so beautiful to watch him kind of not just command the ball, but kind of get everybody in Orlando on the same page. So obviously Franz and Paolo are going to be like the, the two kind of like basically breadwinners of this Orlando team. They're going to be the main two focal points. Cole Anthony has been like, okay, the gravity that they create, I'm going to benefit off of. And he's, he has, he's looked fantastic. So whether or not that means that they put faults on the back burner for whenever he comes back, or if Suggs slides to the two full time and like they kind of run that. Cause I think, I think your best possible lineup, and I'll say this 
regardless of you know what everybody looks like a year from now, I think your best possible lineup would be Anthony Suggs, Franz, Bancaro, Wendell Carter Jr. I yeah, think I agree. When healthy, that is that is a stellar fucking lineup. That is right. They're fourteen and five without Wendell Carter Jr., who is probably their like third best contributor when he's healthy, and like in in a fantastic floor spacer and and kind of two way big there. So the fact that Mo has kind of and and Goga Bishdale has kind of like taken the, that those minutes. I love Goga. He's so funny, but um. This Orlando team is so gritty too. Like on the defensive end, don't even get me started on the fact that they got Jonathan Eisen back and he's kind of been like a non-factor for majority of the games, but they've still collectively been like insanely cohesive defenders. I I don't know if I can like envision a world where Joe Ingles is a meaningful uh, addition to this roster and like a playoff rotation but i mean you know having the shooting there from him and harris is yeah, always he, nice. he's been good yeah he's got that that two-man game with mo wagner off the bench it's been solid. Yeah. and uh i like i like watching gary harris because he's always like a nice spark plug like it kind of feels like he just like randomly at times just heats up but mm. you know you're, you're probably good nine men deep in this roster and it's it's nice to look at because for a while orlando was like kind of aimless at that one spot and now it kind of kind of feels like there's like a natural progression of okay Suggs and Cole Anthony can can function together because that was a huge concern last year was both of them, sure, great athletes, but they couldn't really put it together on the defensive side of the ball. Suggs was n- supposed to be known for that and didn't flash a lot of that early on. The jumper was incredibly suspicious. Like both of them, I would say kind of to the point where it was a concern if you could put them both on the floor together. You can completely wipe that off of your uh, list of concerns now because they, they both functionally – have jumpers that make defenses respect them and they create off the dribble. So it's like Orlando fans should finally be like, Oh my God, it's, it's finally happening to us. Yeah. Right. Cole Anthony career high 37 and a half percent from three. So yeah, that backcourt is definitely much more functional than it was last year. And like you said, like they have such a clear identity now, like they went from being so aimless post Vooch trade to now such a very clear team identity. You know exactly what this team is going to bring you every night. And it's just been so much fun to watch. I think, you know, Cole Anthony, I think it's fair to say that Wendell Carter is like their third best player, but I think my pick would be Cole Anthony, what he's done for the the team this season, accepting a six-man role. He's come off the bench for all 19 games this season, putting up 15 a game, getting the lowest minutes per game of his career four years in, and just been okay with it. And I feel like you kind of touched on this earlier, the way that he's not dominating the ball, but doing a really good job of running the offense, making sure everyone's getting touches. Um, and just really being a great six man. So I've been really impressed with him uh, in particular, but this entire Magic team has been just honestly by far my favorite team to watch so far this season. I'm really glad I got to see them in person too. Okay. Every time that I think about the Magic, um, I then end up thinking about the Bulls because of that Vooch trade and sort of like the the crossing, uh, what am I trying to say here? Just the like diverging paths that those two franchises have gone on since that trade, just going in opposite directions. And now the Bulls are at a point you know, they pick up a, a huge win over the Bucks without Levine and DeMar, just encapsulating everything that's that's going on with the Bulls right now. They've just been an absolute dumpster fire the entire season. Their two supposed best players go out amidst all these like trade rumors. You know, DeRozan's preferred destinations are coming out. The reports about Zach Levine's trade market. They both missed this game against the Bucks. Surely a blowout loss. No. Alex Caruso hits a game tying three at the buzzer to force overtime, and the Bulls pull out a victory. So 
the only thing left to talk about the Bulls at this point is what trades are they going to make? You know, it, it's only a matter of time before they blow it up. It's just a matter of where these guys end up. I don't see much of a trade market for these guys. I mean, Woj reported that there's essentially no trade market for Zach Levine. And even DeMar, like, I, I don't really see where he fits. I have a couple destinations, but I don't really know what the trade would be. So I want to go over a his, few of those. As I say, his two preferred destinations are the two places that make the least sense possible for him. Right. Two teams. He, he in wants the to end up. Yeah, he wants to end up on the Knicks or the Heat, both two that would require a, ring, a winger forward to be a plus 35% three-point shooter and 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 actually space the floor. And defend. And, and defend. And he wants to be that guy, and he's not that guy. Like him next to Jimmy, quite possibly one of the worst potential fits in that dynamic. Everybody can see, like, like you know, game time Jimmy when he wants to be turns up, but it's like, for him to be like, hey, DeMar, I need you to lock in and like defend really hard for 12 minutes. He's not doing that. That's not, that's not happening. We've seen that time and time again. We saw that in his prime that he could Yeah, I was going to say, that. even so if he is locked even... in, I don't think DeRozan's ever really been considered a plus defender. Yeah, the idea that he wants to go to these two teams that, if anything, they need shooting on the wing and defense on the wing, two things that he's not providing, not to mention the fact that he's on an expiring contract, wants a big payday. Like it, it doesn't make any sense. I don't really see outside of you know him just getting his way. I don't really see what his market is because I, I look. You look at all twenty nine teams. I mean, what what's his best fit? Forget matching salaries and his his next contract. Like, what's the best fit for him given the current state of the NBA? Uh, I mean, like, I I don't want to be this guy because like, you know, the the Lakers don't even have like the spacing that would require him. Right. It just feels like one of those trades where like the Lakers would get him. And then, you know, inexplicably he's like, Oh, I'm going to play good now because of the culture. I thought for a second, this is, this is to really buy into the idea. I was like, the Kings would be an interesting one. The, the kind of like pace that they play with, he would add an element to be like, okay, more of a methodical scorer next to Fox that like would give it another element of that. But then I was like, the Kings are doing fine without him. I don't think a team like I've seen the Hawks thrown around, which makes zero sense to me. No, I've yeah, seen, a, a, a hilarious one I've seen is Golden State. And I was like, ew, first no. of all, I don't think right now there's a team that is like licking their chops more than the Lakers are for DeMar. The real breadwinner would be Caruso. I don't think a single team in the NBA is like, I'm willing to give up an unprotected first for DeMar plus young guys and salary matcher. Like, no, no. shot. No, I, yeah, no way. I could see teams doing that for Caruso, though, and I think the Lakers will be one of those teams pursuing him very hard. I honestly, like, there's really not a team that Caruso wouldn't be a good fit on, but I, I think the Lakers are probably, if I'd had to guess, probably the favorites to go after him, just given that they do still have a first-round pick that has a lot of value left. They have clearly plenty of guys that they can use to match salary, and obviously being a former Laker, I, I think it just makes the most sense. But where do you see where do you see Caruso landing, if not the Lakers? The like Lakers on the on Crusoe on the Lakers is just such a buttery fit. He's he's kind of that guy at the one that they they lack the grit of. Like I love D'Lo, but like like remember when you said earlier in the year where it's like the Hashimura D'Lo for Kyrie trade just seems like it's written in the wall on the walls kind of thing. Yeah, I mean they gave him yeah they gave out those contracts to match Kyrie's salary. I really and okay, so this this one's going to be a little suspect because you're probably not going to like the fit. But I, I kind of like Caruso if he was next to Halley. I think mm. on Indy, that would be a very interesting dynamic. The obvious one that a lot of people kind of like overlook aside from the Lakers would be if he was on the Knicks. 
uh because i think i think new york is another team where it's like honestly there's a lot of there's like pretty much <laughs> every team in the nba would be like oh we'll welcome caruso yeah, like, absolutely here, yeah. give, give 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 fit wise the lakers i think stylistically make way more sense than the knicks but i think in terms of actual contribution to winning i think he would look he'd be really good on new york i think if you are like the clippers are cooked they don't have the they don't have anything to give oh for yeah Caruso. No, yeah forget but, about it but that would be another thing where they were just like all right we could fucking link him up i the delusion that i've seen of some fun bulls fans because you know our good friend zark zark Moore, is is a very well educated uh, fan. You guys are not getting Larry Markkinen back, no matter how hard you try. Oh, jeez. I've seen so like the Utah mock trades on Twitter where somebody's just like, yeah, you know, like if if we if we send him Levine and you know try to get Larry back, he'll play like it's like. No, oh Larry, man. Oh no. Larry Larry is looking at the Chicago team like you motherfuckers gave up on me. I am not coming back here regardless. To be fair, two pretty. Equally shitty teams, but yeah, that trade is never happening. Yeah, I don't. I think the only reason why I wouldn't like the the Knicks or Pacers fits because I feel like they already have kind of like budget Crusoe options on their team with like Bruce Brown, Josh Hart, Divincenzo Grimes. Like, it, it, obviously, again, Crusoe would fit on any team, but I feel like those two teams. I'll try to slide in Quentin Grimes there. That's rage. He fits the role. Obviously, he's not nearly as good as Alex. He Crusoe, would be but... the Dollar General version of that budget. Like he would be like the. Yes, but what I'm saying the is they, they have guys who sort of play that role already, so I feel like there, there are better situations where Crusoe would have a bigger impact. Obviously, no matter what team you put him on, like he's going to make them better, but I feel like the Knicks and Pacers have sort of used some of their assets in that sort of uh, archetype. So I'm thinking Lakers or maybe the Heat, and I don't know how the Heat get there because I don't really know what they have to offer the Bulls that matters to them, but it just makes a lot of sense. I mean, Crusoe in a Heat uniform – would be as much as I would hate it. Like it would be such a perfect fit. It would be, it'd be fantastic. Yeah. I was thinking the Warriors could go after him, but Ooh. like if you're a Bulls fan, you're definitely hoping it's Moody and not Kaminga, but I could see the Warriors definitely pursuing him pretty hard. They're sort of at a, a weird point in their season. You know, they're hovering around 500 and they really got to, I think, I think they got to do something, you know, like they can't, unless they're just going to be content with riding it out with their guys. Like, they have to make a move. They they can't just keep this core and think that they're going to continue to be contenders. So I could see them definitely making some phone calls on Caruso. Now, as far as Levine goes, it's tough, man. There's one destination that I, I want to run by you, but do you have any any spots, any landing spots for Levine that you think makes sense? Well, Philly makes sense, but how do they get it done is the real question. I think the allure to Levine is if you can get him to play confined role of like a, instead of trying to worry about if he's like a 25 plus kind of guy, try to buy him into more of like a, you want him to be the third option. I was going to say kind of more like a Middleton esque kind of role Mm. where he's like, could put up 20, but he's a good closer where he's like a guy that you can rely on the offense and be like, okay, yep. Like I'm not, if he's taking the final shot, I'm not too worried about it. Kind of guy I've, I've seen, like Nick's kind of like murmurs, but that is not the guy that solves all their problems. So I don't have one that's like a like light bulb goes off kind of destination. I just think those two kind of make sense stylistically. Okay. Let me throw this one at you then. What about what about the Charlotte Hornets for Zach Levine? It's a team that doesn't really have much of a direction. They're supposed to be trying to win, supposedly, not really doing a great job of that. But I do like some of their guys. Like I like their starting lineup. 
I, I think they have something there that they can build off of. And it's sort of like, why not take a swing? You know, Charlotte is not a team that's really going to have many opportunities to land someone as good as Zach Levine. You can, you know, quibble about his contract, but I think Charlotte would love to have someone as talented as Zach Levine paired up with Lamelo Ball. And, you know, they have Hayward's expiring. They have plenty of young guys that the Bulls might want to take a flyer on. And it's the one situation that I think makes sense for both sides. Bitwise, yeah, I think a guy like Levine next to Lamelo is like just a a, a a better situation than like him with Bridges. So like that's fantastic. Like the, yeah, like I like the fit a lot. It's just getting it done in like a way that doesn't kind of would Chicago be satisfied with like a Hayward PJ Washington thing? Like would they be satisfied with like a complete salary dump? Like you throw in like Martin and like Hayward and like a protected for it like what is Levine's value to Charlotte versus what is like Chicago going to be happy with taking so I think that if if they are able to trade DeMar and Caruso first then I think they can settle for really just trading Levine for a salary dump like maybe you get like some seconds or a protected first back but given the length of his contract if you're blowing it up anyway I think that you're better off moving him for an expiring in Hayward and if you can take a flyer on like PJ Washington or even like a, a Bryce McGowan's even just someone, someone young that you can at least sell to yourself has potential. I think, I think you're probably better off now if they're unable to land a deal for DeMar and they're kind of still this in-between team and they're not really fully blowing it up, then yeah, you probably don't want to just dump them. You know, if you're, if you're only able to move him, but if it's going to be a fire sale, then I think you can settle for just getting off of his long-term money because you're not doing anything with him. And he's got a lot of money for a lot of years, and I just don't think it's worth it. I was gonna say because like if you if you're Charlotte and they kind of want to pry like another one of your younger guys from you, do you do you even include a pick at that point? Like because my my thing is is yeah, it's Zach Levine. Like he's two years removed away from being one of the top shooting guards in the league, and you know he very clearly can still put the rock in the basket. But it's like your your lineup then probably looks like like assuming Terry's still you know, a part of this team long-term, yeah. it, it probably been, looks he's like... He's been so good, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Terry Rozier's been fantastic. So, like, it looks like probably, like, LaMelo, Terry, in this instance, are you still starting Miller, or are you sliding, like, Levine to the three, and then Miles, and then Mark Williams kind of thing? Like, I think you go you... Rozier six men in that scenario. You go LaMelo, Levine, Brandon Miller. If you keep PJ, he plays the four, and then you have Mark Williams at the five. I like that lineup a lot. I think that's a competitive team that if they can fill out the bench over the next season or two, could be back to now. That could be another Hornets team with like a seven seed ceiling, but it's it's a much more competitive team than they've had in recent years, and it at least gives them a chance to build on something. Because right now, like they're just going nowhere. I was right. gonna say Lamelo has like an insane like stretch, but you don't have like the actual like Hayward at this point. For the money that he makes, can I be giving you like twelve and five kind of thing? Like, yeah, I like just... what he adds. Like, I feel like he's really good for them, but not at you know the, the salary number. Yeah, that, so that's it's like the issue if there. you add another guy who can put up like a good twenty-two, four and three, like yeah, oh yeah, and Lamelo is probably just going to make his life a lot easier than where he's at now. So yeah, I I like that fit. Just yeah, how might... it gets done is a little. Yeah, LaMelo might not sprain his ankle every two weeks if he doesn't have to do basically everything outside of Rozier. So, yeah, I just feel like LaMelo is too good. The starting lineup is too good to, like, tank. You know, They're not going to be one of the four or five worst teams. They're not going to have a shot at the number one pick. 
And so if they don't make a move like this with Levine, they're going to end up with like the ninth overall pick, just absolutely stuck in purgatory with nowhere to go. So I, I'd like to see them take a swing. Uh, Levine, again, with the money is not like the ideal guy for someone to trade for and kind of go all in for. But I, I think it makes sense for the Hornets. They are not going to have opportunities to get someone as talented. So I, I think it's a worthwhile swing for them. And uh, yeah, Mitch Kupchak, make it happen, man. Make Hornets games worth going to. <laughs> right, right. For the most part, right now they really aren't. No, it is not. Uh, I would not go out of your way to uh, visit StubHub for short, for Hornets tickets in any. No. I mean, like it's it, it's a good team to, you know, if they're if they got like a cracked stream up and you got nothing else to do, yeah, you can watch Lamelo basically put the team on his shoulders for forty plus minutes, or, or you know, Charlotte can make moves and become not a laughing stock of an organization there's a reason mj got his ass out of there right yeah and, and sure even if they were to trade for levine and next season they're like the seven or the eight seed during the playing tournament at that's the very least at, yeah the very least that's an improvement and you can build off of you know levine's still only 28 it's not like he's at the tail end of his prime here so you can build off of that hope that brendan miller continues to improve hope that mark williams continues to improve maybe you you make one more good draft pick or one more good free agent signing and suddenly you are a competitive team. I think if you're the Hornets, like you got to be thrilled if you're competing for home court advantage. Um, that, that's sort of just the state of the franchise at this point. So I, I think that taking a swing on Zach Levine is a worthwhile gamble for them. And I think of the other 29 teams in the league, it's probably the only one that I would like feel good about them, them going for Levine. So yeah, I, I think that wraps up Bulls talk. We're going to take a quick break and then uh, we'll be right back to uh, keep talking hoops, man. A couple more things that I wanted to get to before we bring Josie on to talk about the OKC Thunder. The Memphis Grizzlies, uh, once again, not doing well this season. And a large part of that has been uh, the disappointing play of one Jaron Jackson Jr. So, Mitch, what have you been seeing? Because obviously it's not been great, but let's get into a little bit. What, what do you think has been his downfall this season? I think the first thing is... A lot of his game. So, so while him and Ja weren't by any means like a dynamic pick and roll duo that like led the league in frequency of it, Ja still spoon fed a lot of Jaron Jackson Jr.'s kind of like mid roll games and kind of post hub possessions. So, the fouling hasn't stopped for Jaron Jackson Jr. It's still at like a ludicrous rate. I don't know, uh, like because he's back to averaging four a game. It was down to 3.3. Now it's back to four. How that happens? Good question. The dude just, for some reason, plays the game with only his arms and has never once learned to uh, be a capable defender with his body. If you were the defensive player of the year, you should in no way, shape, or form be averaging four fouls a game. I don't care if you forgot how to play basketball or you were in a a car accident, allegedly, like our boy Kelly Oubre, to... uh, you know, rehab a bunch of things, but that's not the case here. The case here is you should be having insane games considering you don't have your highest usage player on the court. You should be stepping up and putting up like 20 and 10 and like leading the league in blocks, at at least doing something other than putting up 15, five rebounds, one block, uh, shooting an abysmal 33% from the field, 19% from three, and four fouls a game. Yeah, the five rebounds what, kills me, man. 
what the fuck are you doing out Is he there? Really, thirty-three percent from the field. I did not 30, know that bad. Thirty shit. in this past fifteen-game stretch, 33, 15, 12 games, thirty-three percent from the Good field. Lord, yeah, that's that's awful. It, I, yeah, it doesn't feel like he's he's taken any of the load from the absence of Jaw. Like it feels like it's been all Bane, and the role guys have sort of stepped up here and there in different games. But yeah, Jaron Jackson has not like taken over at all. And I feel like, like you said, it wasn't like they were a huge pick and roll tandem. But I remember reading an article, I believe it was last season, might have been the season before, but Ja and Jaron have talked specifically about the scenarios in which when Ja's driving to the rim and he brings over Jaron's defender, they talk about how Ja knows he can't finish that shot with all the defense over him, but he puts up a shot just to get it up on the glass so that Jaron Jackson can grab an offensive rebound and put it back in. He's, yeah. I forget what the stats were, but they were generating a lot of offense off of those plays. And he's getting none of that now. And I feel like with that part of his offensive game gone, he hasn't done anything to sort of replace that. And like you said, the shots are not falling whatsoever. So I didn't know it was that bad, but I knew he was struggling to shoot the ball. So yeah, it's fucking yeah, he's just terrible. Been a, a disaster. And yeah, the one block a game, not that blocks are the end all be all of rim protection. I think we all know that, but yeah, one block a game for a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. While still at the foul rate that he's at. Yeah. It's just not getting it done. I genuinely think that, this version, like, so, like, this is, this is right now, like, in the past, like, because he started the season, like, you know, like, 18-6 and, like, maybe an assist in a bit, and, like, actually putting up, like, two blocks. This is, I would say, the the worst stretch iteration we've seen of Jared Jackson Jr. since his rookie year. It is, it has just looked like a weird amalgamation of him not being comfortable in an offense, but he was completely fine last year and the year prior, like, he... There's just something off this year that I, I think not having jaw is actually done the opposite effect of him not taking. So like the, the predicted thing was take more workload, be more of a focal point of the offense. And what has actually happened is he's reversed that and been less involved than ever been less imposing than ever. And actually kind of is becoming the fact that Jaron Jackson Jr.'s success was heavily relying on the fact that he had Morant causing so much chaos as he did. He's been able to stay on the court this year for most part through the 20 games. He's played 18 of them. So, I mean, yeah, there's that. But, like, I'm sorry, is the solace that fit five years in he's finally able to get on the basketball court? Like, no. It, it, you should not be complacent with the fact that you were literally an all-star last year. You are a two-time block champ, two-time all-defensive player. You are a 2022-2023 defensive player of the year. You have to hold yourself to a higher standard. And I know it sounds like I'm flambaying him for something that, you know, it should be within his control. It's just very disappointing from a guy who people were like basically in the conversation of the Pascal Siakams of the world last year to now this is how he's playing. Like, it's just, it's sad. And it hurts me, not just from a fantasy perspective, but from a Ugh. fan perspective of being like, oh, I was expecting like a huge jump in production from this guy. Him, Bane, and Morant were supposed to be like this crazy trio that I could like, you know, I would want to tune in and watch. And none of his game has made me want to watch this year. Yeah, and it doesn't make me feel like he's going to turn it back on once Jock comes back. I don't know, man. Yeah, it, the lack of aggression is really the thing for me that I've noticed. Is like, he, like you said, he's just not imposing himself. He's never been like an overly physical type of offensive player. It's not like he's putting dudes in the in the backboard or anything, like busting dudes up or anything. But yeah, it just feels like he's he's shrinking without jaw on the floor when it should be the opposite. So yeah, I'm glad that you that you wanted to bring that up because it's definitely a, a really interesting storyline that's been going on the past few weeks that 
will be interesting to monitor when Jaw does come back. I, I think we're going to learn a lot about this Grizzlies team in that first week or two when Jaw starts playing again. If they don't go on a serious run right away, like I think we have to start looking at this team and, and saying, you know, it, it's time to really shake things up. Like stylistically, it's just not working. So I'm really interested to see if anything does change. I can't say that he's given me reason to think that it will to this point, but you know, I think all final judgments on the Grizzlies have to be reserved until we, we see them at uh, not even full strength, but just with job back, because obviously they'll be a much different team. Yeah, I don't want to write them off entirely, but I will say that I have never been more like shocked at an opportunity being fumbled from a player than I have more than Jared Jackson Jr. This was literally going to be a year where you kind of like, all right, listen, everybody's counting us out because Jaw's gone. Everybody initially before like and this is the other the most ironic part before the year started everybody kind of said they'll weather the storm they didn't they haven't so this was supposed to be all right we're we're getting trashed but I should be putting up monster numbers I should be putting up video game type stats because teams are thrashing us so bad and instead of that you you kind of put up like a pedestrian like like for his standard I know like if you put on paper like eighteen six and two and then like a block and a half on the season wouldn't be so bad. And then you look at that. It's almost back up to four fouls again and two turnovers per like his two assists. How many minutes per game is he even playing with that? He's playing, trouble? he's playing 30.5 on average, but, but the past 10, it's been towards like 25, 22, 26. Right. He played a low of 14 minutes against Dallas. Jesus. 14 minutes. You cannot be the reigning defensive player of the year an all-star last year and play 14 minutes and put up, uh, four points, two blocks, two assists, and four boards. That cannot be your scoreline. Yeah, that's it's just not getting it done, man. Uh, speaking of defensive player of the years who are not playing like they did last year, though, Rudy Gobert having quite a bounce back season for the Timberwolves, leading them to I want to say the best defensive rating in the league. If not, it's top three. Um, they've been really good. I think they have, as of this recording, the best record in the Western Conference, tied with the Celtics for the best record in the league. And I think it's time we that we have to start sort of evaluating the Timberwolves as legit contenders in the West. I think that with this sort of resurgence from Rudy Gobert, the way that he's really carrying the defense, and I, I wouldn't even say carrying because they have a lot of pieces around him that have led them to the best defense in the league. But the way that they're playing right now, I think it's safe to say that they can really compete with anybody. And I, I think Rudy Gobert is a large part of that. Obviously the Anthony Edwards superstar ascension is uh, the number one factor with this team. But to me, I've been really impressed with Rudy uh, obviously a guy that I have not exactly been kind to in, in my uh, analysis of him over the years, but I've been impressed so far this season. And I think that he now has a team around him that he never had in Utah. You know, you take, when you think about like the ceiling of the team, I feel like there's much more here that will allow him to be a real contributor in a playoff setting, which he's really failed to do in the past. The funniest part about Rudy's kind of resurgence is He's and I know this is going to sound like really weird to people, but he's actually doing a lot less of the uh, funnel everything to Rudy kind of strategy and more or less of like an actual roamer. Yeah, because I think the main thing that like so the reason he was deploy in Utah wasn't just because, you know, he swallowed up a lot of shots. It was because literally they funneled every single point of attack towards Rudy. It wasn't as though. They were just like, oh, let's let your man blow by them. They also just didn't have the personnel to play one-on-one -on, -one on the wing at a consistent basis. This Minnesota team actually does, and that's the scary part. Like, when McDaniels gets healthy again, oh. oh, oh, oh. It's going to be scary, man. My God. Oh, oh, oh. So, 
their best lineup I think they roll out is Conley, Edwards, McDaniels, Cat, Rudy. Nas Reed has looked fantastic in turn when his numbers getting called upon. It's love me some Reed. Rudy is actually and like if you look at it kind of like a like a starch contrast, Rudy's actually mirroring in like in terms of production and usage his Utah season of uh 2019 to 20, where he's almost at the three three like solid blocks because he's at like 2.7 in the past, like 10 or something like that. He's scoring like slightly less, but at a on an almost more efficient rate, it kind of feels like just in terms of like getting his touches back to where they should be. Um, not to say that it's like an all-time high for field goal percentage, but like in terms of his comfortability in an offense, it looks fantastic. Yeah. His defensive rebounding has been like fantastic. Like, like nobody is getting put backs on him. Like nobody is getting like the little second chance, little tip-ins on him. It's fantastic. So I will say this in terms of people who we thought were going to be defensive player of the year candidates coming into the season. He was far and away like a dark horse, I'd say, because people were kind of already clocked out on like the whole Rudy, like, oh, he's not what he used to be. He's looking like defensive player of the year candidacy right now. And and I would go as far as to say is that if you didn't have him right now as your number one, I would kind of question who you're putting above him because it like you can do like the oh Bam has been playing like really switchable and versatile defense. It's like, but Bam's not like completely anchoring in the same kind of instance. Like Bam is doing a lot of like switching on to like, not to say lesser opponents, but you see Rudy actually like kind of collapsing on the stars that are attacking his personnel around him. I've watched a lot of Miami this year, and I just kind of got to say Bam has been very a very switchable defender. He has not been this elite lockdown, all three levels kind of defender that people are making him out to be. Yeah. I think because Bam is so versatile and he, he can basically do anything on the defensive end. People attribute that to him being like the best defender. He's very good. Don't get me wrong. Like is one of the best defenders in the league, but in terms of just straight up uh, on ball defensive ability, like he, he's not, he's not Rudy Gobert, you know, when it comes to like protecting the rim and things like that, like what he can do, the range of things he can do is, is about as impressive as anyone. But yeah, I, I do think his actual ability does get sort of over overrated just a bit because of that. Um, and yeah, I would say it's probably them too. Like, I don't really know who else would be like high up on my defensive player of the year, a lot of board right now. I, I think it would have to be Rudy Gobert one, just given what he's done for, for the Timberwolves yeah. this season. And I, I do think we have to shout out Mike Conley as well. He's been fantastic for the Timberwolves this season. Like oh, thank su- God. I was like, a- I was like, shout out for Depoy. Like, what? No, 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 no. yeah, no, yeah. Mo- moving on from defensive player of the year, Mike okay, Conley is. Okay. He's not really helping them out in that department. No, but he's been <laughs> such a stabilizing presence for their offense. Uh, really, just exactly the type of point guard that they've needed. Like his, his three point shooting has been extremely valuable for them. The way that he defers to Anthony Edwards, but still will step in and run the show most of the time. He's like the perfect veteran point guard that understands that balance. It's it's a, like a dying breed in the NBA, like the, the Mike Conley's Kyle Lowry's of the world, those like just traditional point guards who just know like how to balance touches, how to run an offense, that sort of thing. The fact that the Timberwolves have that type of guy is huge for them because you think back to like their previous playoff runs, just how disastrous they were in like the fourth quarters of, of any close game. Just hor- like I specifically remember like Carl Anthony Towns just like throwing the ball away, taking some of the dumbest shots. Just playing horrible low IQ basketball. D'Angelo Russell chucking up threes with 20 on the shot clock. Like just just terrible offense d- down the stretch of playoff games. And I feel like Mike Conley is going to have a huge impact uh, in that department when the time comes. So the Timberwolves, I think, similar to OKC, they really have all the pieces. The only reason why I don't feel confident in putting them 
at the top of the West yet is just because we haven't seen it. They haven't done it before. But to me, the Timberwolves team on paper are as good as anyone. Yeah, they've got like it's one of those teams where it's like they've got a fighting chance against pretty much everybody that you see them come across, which is great because I think the main thing is is that a lot of people, not to say counted them out of uh, contention, they were like, oh, they're still a playoff team, but now they're in the upper echelon of those playoff teams, yeah. and it, they look like they could actually take teams to seven games. Yeah, I mean, we look at last year, like a lot of people after last year's playoffs came away with the conclusion that the Timberwolves game gave the Nuggets their best run. Now the Suns. Took two games off of them. The Timberwolves got swept, but I think there there is a lot of merit to that. You know, like their size definitely stifled Jokic in a way that no other team was able to do. And I think Anthony Edwards is only going to continue to get better as time goes on. He, he's definitely improving from. He had a fantastic playoff series against the Nuggets. Don't get me wrong, but as as the season goes on, he's going to continue to improve. And I, I think the Nuggets are a much better team than they were last year. Or excuse me, the Timberwolves are a much better team than they were last year. And they like they're going to give them a run. You know what I mean? And like we've said, there's not really another team out in the West that's really established themselves. Like OKC, I think, is the three seed right now, and they haven't proven anything yet. So it's really wide open in the West, and I I see no reason why the Timberwolves shouldn't be considered one of the favorites. So, yeah, that's uh, that's all I really had on the Timberwolves. I want to quickly, before we get out of here, get to a little bit of Scoot Henderson talk because we talked earlier in the season about how, at least I talked, how I wasn't really worried about his slow start. You know, I felt like it was pretty expected that, you know, you you hand a 19-year-old the keys to a franchise as a, a point guard, and he's not going to be efficient. He, it's going to be really fast for him, um, and it's going to take time. And he did get injured. You know, he, he rehabbed in the G League, and now he's back. And I will say he looked better than he did in his first, you know, six to eight games or whatever, but he's still not looking like the player that I saw playing for G League Ignite. And I think it, it's been enough time now where we can start to question – what type of player Scoot really is because he was sold as this sort of Derrick Rose, John Morant esque athlete. That was just an absolute unstoppable force going to the rim. Like would put anyone on a poster had insane hops, the whole thing. And I just don't feel like we've seen that. Like, can you just off the top of your head, can you think of a Scoot Henderson highlight in his NBA career to this point? Um, no, I can, that's I can that's long see... enough. That's off the top of your head. No, there's nothing. That's so he hasn't really shown those flashes of like that superstar potential that he was showing at, at 17, 18 years old playing against grown men in the G League. So it's a little bit concerning. And I know that like the Portland Trailblazer situation is not great. Chauncey Billups probably uh not you know doing some great coaching over there. I've never really been a huge fan of him as a coach, but still I I feel like at this point we should be seeing some sort of flashes of the player that he was built to be and not that I'm watching the, the Trailblazers every single night, but to this point, I just haven't seen it. I will say this, and just to keep this kind of like tame, the sheer amount of shit that he talked leading into the draft right. yeah. was abysmal. There's there's, there's a difference between betting on yourself, my boy, Fred Van Vliet Jr., or being overtly just completely arrogant and cocky about what you actually bring to the table. You said it best. There's going to be adjustment periods. Look at any lead guard that you've given the ball to. There's adjustment periods. This is way more than growing pains. This is he he's been having his welcome to the NBA moment on loop over and over and over and over again. He came in expecting him to be like the advertisement was he's a blur to the basket. NBA level defenders and athletes are going to have a struggle even defending him. The wings of the NBA are going to struggle to keep up. The guards of the NBA are going to struggle to keep up. He 
reminds me a lot of the way that Ant carried himself of just, I am God's gift to basketball. I know you can't stay in front of me. The difference is, is that Anthony Edwards actually has production and does something with that confidence that Scoot isn't. I get it. You're young and you're skittish, but you can't also in the same token say that the guy who very clearly is better than you and went number one overall, and that he didn't deserve to go that one, or he shouldn't be number one overall because you're the better player. You've done nothing to show me that you are the better player. So, you know, you can, you can draw and you can kind of be like, Oh, you know what? Like, yeah, like I'm adjusting and like, there's still a, still like a period of it, but for you to come into the league with kind of the, uh, the ultimate green light that you did. Cause remember Dame's not in the picture. The trailblazers have completely moved into an idea of whatever you want to do, do it, figure out what you're going to do because they, they, they understand that the talent that they were supposed to have just acquired could potentially be better than whatever it is they're doing currently. And so far it, it looks really woeful for Portland that this is who they have put all their chips on. Now, don't get me wrong. There's still like, you know, there's obviously bright spots like the dude, like you said, he's 19. He still got has plenty of time to figure it out. But the worst thing that you can do right now as a player is is not kind of like take the steps to realize what you're doing is wrong. Because the, the thing is, Trey Young had the same kind of start to a season. It, he was getting dogged on, but he very quickly was like, OK, my main strengths are my craftiness, my ability to solve real time problems really fast. So what he did was, instead of trying to force the issue, shoot it from 35-plus, all right, hone it in, take the looks that the defense is giving me, use my handle, use my intelligence. And now, down the line, Trey puts it all together. The problem with Scoot is he's doing the exact same thing over and over and over, and he's not really adjusting to what's happening. The defense, in terms of mirroring him, have done a way better job than I think that he expected them to do. The athletes are at a way higher level than he, he played against grown men, but he played against grown men that weren't actively in the NBA. He played against G league talent. And I know people are going to be like, Oh, but you know, in terms of European talent, in terms of G league, it's relative. And it's like, it is, but he was an 18 year old playing against what I would say is the B list of the G league. He never got to, go up against a Jason Tatum. He never got to slide with an OG Ananobi. He never had to try to blow by a guy like Anthony Edwards who can not only outmaneuver him midair, but also can mirror him in terms of foot speed. So you're like watching him. Here's a good example. I watched him guard De'Aaron Fox. Fox didn't do anything like crazy crafty or sauce him to a crazy degree, but De'Aaron Fox, at this point, I can call him a veteran of the game knows exactly that this poor kid in front of him does not have his sea legs. He's he's going to be crossing his feet. So a simple change in direction and Scoot's gone. A simple stop and pull back and, and Scoot's gone. He doesn't have like these, these bearings to read the game as it happens. Scoot's body works faster than his brain does. And that's the problem is if you can't put them together, you end up with a guy who has a lot of flash, but not a lot of substance. And take Jordan Poole, for example. Suave, super saucy, but the decision making and the way that his brain reacts to what's happening on the court, terrible in comparison. Yeah, quick so, aside, Jordan Poole, that shot that got swatted by Asor Thompson when he had like five feet of separation, one of the worst basketball plays I've seen in a long time. If you do not just pull that midi and you instead go for a, kind of like an underhand scoop, layup, floater, whatever that was. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say this if Scoot 
30 games from now still looks exactly as he does like as of today November December 2nd then yeah I will I will wholeheartedly say that it was a terrible mistake for the Trailblazers not to just take another certain young gentleman out there over Scoot because clearly having a mentor like Dame would have been fantastic for Scoot. Amphrey Simons got to be mentored by Dame. I don't think he's at the point where he can mentor a guy like no, 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 Scoot. No. So Portland's biggest concern right now should be, okay, who do we pivot from to try to give Scoot the best benefit of the doubt to becoming the player that we want him to be? Does that mean you kind of like figure out a tandem of like sharp and scoot? Or do you kind of lean into that? And Simons is still when he comes back, like a solidified sniper who can actually run an offense. What do you do as Portland? You don't care about winning this season. That's not your agenda, but your agenda should be who do we put next to scoot to iron out these ripples? Yeah. I'm very curious to see what it looks like when Simon Simons comes back because on paper, I don't feel like the fit makes a ton of sense next to Scoot, but I think in some ways he could definitely take a lot of pressure off of Scoot, not having to be the main ball handler when he's out there. Uh, it does bring up concerns about Scoot shooting ability, but I'm very interested to see how they look once once Simons is back. And do you know when he's coming back? Because honestly, like at the start of the season, I didn't know that he was hurt until he just wasn't playing. And now I just I feel like I have no sense of what's going on with him. Oh, so okay, so he played through a ligament tear. Uh, found out that the ligament tear was like a lot more serious than initially. Uh, just last week, he was doing on-court drills. Uh, then three days ago, he was doing actual contact drills. So he is about a week away from actually suiting up. The thing is, and like this is the funniest part, the more severe injury, I would argue, would be CJ McCollum's actual lung collapse. Oh, so we're just transitioning fully into your fantasy team now? But no, not fully. I'm just, but I'm saying in terms of bounce back period, why was a 31-year-old CJ McCollum so much more ready to lace up again than a young, young buck, 24-year-old Ann Simons? That's that's my question. Uh, I think my answer would be that, the like you said, the Blazers' agenda does not involve winning, so they didn't want to rush him back, given that he is a young guard that they just paid. And I don't know, CJ's had a collapse long before. It ain't nothing new to him. Shake he it off. Went, all right. <laughs> all right like, oh, yeah, I've been here before. No big deal. And yeah, the Pelicans are definitely trying to win, and he's been a huge part of that. So I think they want to get him back as soon as possible. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, you, you would think just on paper, Simons would be back faster. But yeah, I, I think that uh, the Trailblazers definitely are not going to be competitive this season. But I think that with Simons back in the fold, we're going to start to figure some things out about them at the very least. You know, I, I think Simons will help not only like their spacing, he'll help. Uh, take pressure off of Scoot. I think he'll help DeAndre Ayton get some easier baskets. Not that Simons is like a world-class playmaker, but just an extra guy who, who can get to the rim, make some passes. So I, I think he'll he'll make this Trailblazers team make a little bit more sense once he's in the mix. Um, and he'll start to answer some questions that I think we all have about this team. So yeah, we can transition now. I think we've hit all the topics that we wanted to. So we could just go ahead and talk about your fantasy team, how you're, everyone's back from injury. Simons will be back soon. CJ's back. Fox is back. Jamal's back. You're looking You're looking great. I would just like to say wholeheartedly that I regret none of my trades because none of the trades have been super detrimental as as prior in the past because Darius Garland has not looked as good as advertised and Jamal Murray, when healthy, has looked fantastic. And if everything trickles out the way it should this year, I might not be a seller at the deadline, but I'm obviously not winning the chip this year. 
So to put it into perspective, I'm I'm humbly at like a seven or eight seed if everything trickled out right, more or less likely fighting for the play-in tournament. But we're happy because, you know, it's good vibes once everybody becomes healthy again. We're not worrying too much about the actual production as as much as not seeing a bunch of red O's all over my Yeah, pen. Yeah, right. We're on the upswing. That's all that matters. Uh, but I think uh, I think that hits all of our points. Once we start talking about your fantasy team, that's usually cue to start wrapping up. So I think that'll do it for now. Uh, we're also going to bring on Josie. Well, you got to go, actually, because you, you got big boy plans. But we're going to bring on Josie and talk about the OKC Thunder for a little bit, sort of evaluating them as contenders in the Western Conference this season. Um, so that'll do it for this part of the episode. And uh, we'll be right back to talk to Josie. All right, coming back now, we are joined by the one Josiah Cook here to talk Oklahoma City Thunder. Josie, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Dion, how you been? I'm doing pretty good. Can't complain. Uh, me and Mitch just had a really great conversation bouncing around the league, talking about you know the, the last week in the NBA. But I wanted to have you on because I wanted to have more of an in-depth discussion on the Oklahoma City Thunder, given that you are the resident Oklahoma City Thunder fan on this podcast. No one better. So I want to get into talking about OKC as not just one of the best teams in the West right now, but as a legit contender to come out and represent the West in the finals of the season. Uh, obviously, this is a team that, you know, didn't really have those sort of expectations. You know, this is a team that is just, you know, now starting to see the, uh, like there's sort of the rebuilds coming to fruition here. Um, but it's, it's uh, you know, they're a lot better than I think many people expected. And so I, I just think it's time to take a look at them as uh, as contenders in the West. So I want to look at, how they match up with some of the other top teams. We'll go through the top five or six here um, and just sort of seeing how they would, uh, how they match up in a seven game series. So obviously we got to start with Denver and with the Nuggets, obviously the first thing is the Jokic matchup. Now Chet has been very solid. He's been better than I think most people would have expected as, as a defensive player uh, so far in his rookie season. But I think we've seen already that when it comes to those like bigger bruising centers, that's not really his matchup. He's definitely better off as sort of like a, a roamer, sort of like the way that Giannis protects the rim, so, and like an off-ball type of role. Right. I think that's where he's best. So when it comes to a matchup with the Nuggets, do you think that putting Chet on Jokic and guarding him is, is the answer, or do you think that sort of like what the Lakers did last year by having Anthony Davis off-ball, do you think that's the strategy? So the answer is no. I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think they should do that. Um I think uh, a great example of this was uh, when they played Philadelphia. That was a very close game. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, the Sixers ended up winning that game. But they gave Chet a couple possessions on Embiid at the beginning of the game and then immediately put somebody else on him. You know, they basically play four guards at any given time. So, But, you know, they're big guards. They feel comfortable with these guys, you know, with their length being able to – to guard bigger players, even if it's uh, some sort of a disadvantage. We've definitely seen a disadvantage on the rebounding end this season. That's been the biggest killer for this team. But as far as the chat, I, I wouldn't anticipate if these teams were to meet in the playoffs that we'd see much of that matchup, honestly. Yeah, so you think he's better off in playing like uh, a roamer, playing off the ball and, and playing help side defense? Exactly, yeah. Exactly what you mentioned with like a, kind of like a Giannis type uh, role now you know then you get to okay well who would they actually play on Jokic? yeah because the issue is they don't have brooke lopez 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they don't have anyone close to Brooke Lopez. They they have, you know, Jalen Williams. I mean, I don't know. They could try Lou Dort on him. I think Jalen Williams would be like the, the main guy that would be going on him. But uh, you're starting to see already why this would be kind of a, a fucked matchup. And, you know, Jokic is a fucked matchup for, what, 29 teams in the NBA. I mean, right. so... You know, this team has one center, and that center is not uh, physical enough to guard this guy. So I would think that would be a four or five game series going the Nuggets way, in my opinion. But I think that's fair. Who do you think would be the best uh, to put on Jokic in that situation? Because yeah. I like for Jalen Williams, I think has the size to do it. But my concern would be in a playoff series, can he play more than 20 minutes per game because of the offense? Talking about the big man, Jalen Williams, not J Dub. J Dub, I think, would be the main guy they would put on him. Oh, you were um, talking about you were talking about like forward Jaden Williams this whole time. Yeah, I guess they're both forwards, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> J Dub, oh. J Dub, yes. Got you. Okay, okay. Cause I feel like J like uh Arkansas Jalen Williams would be the best matchup given that he has the size, but I just don't think he could survive for more than twenty minutes in a playoff series offensively. But mm. you think you think J Dub, Santa Clara, Jalen yes. Williams would be the matchup. Okay, interesting. I could see it. I mean, they definitely use him as sort of like a a four or five defensively, but I don't know, man. I could just see Jokic just scoring over the top every single time. I mean, yes, uh, that is the problem with this matchup. <laughs> uh, you have the best player in the world who is a big man versus a team with like no big men. So it's just, that's kind of like, that's definitely an area they need another guy. I don't think they should be going and, and looking to like, okay, we need like a Jokic stopper on this team. You know, I think they're still really early on in this process. As good as they've looked this year, I think they still have a year or two before they're going to get to the point where they're like, okay, we need to trade people to, to, to make our roster better for the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Given that this is going to be their first playoff run together with this core, like, yeah, there's no rush to be giving up assets to go out and get, like you said, a Jokic stopper or like trying to build to beat one specific team. It's still very early in the process. They're still figuring out like who they are. So yeah, I'm with you that they don't need to, you know, jump the sh- ship and like make a, a trade now to, to match up against certain teams. But I, yeah, definitely getting another big man in there, someone who can help with the rebounding and just the overall size on this team, I think definitely is like, that would be the short-term fix. I think. Now the way the thunder could be competitive in, in a series like this is, they they're like okay Jokic is gonna get his absolutely Jamal Murray let's take him out of the equation Michael Porter Jr. let's let's take him out of the equation they have all these very switchable players they have some really good perimeter defenders on this team already and you know they've been terrorizing guards all year so far obviously the power forwards and the centers have been um you know the determining factor in a lot of these games but I think I think you'd say okay. Well, Jokic is going to get his. Let's let's take out these other guys. Yeah, fair. I think that's going to have to be the strategy for most teams going against the Nuggets because there really is no matchup for Jokic. Like even some of the best defenders in the league, Jokic just gets his no matter what. So, yeah, I think if you can key in on on Jamal in particular, that's probably your best bet at taking down the Nuggets in a series. Exactly. Yeah, and you know they have uh, Case and Wallace has been incredible as uh, his rookie season. I mean. I really can't imagine him being any better in the role that he's been given so far. He's done everything they've that he's he's been asked to do. He's done it well. And he, you know, he's a really good 
defender and you have Dort. So you can have like one of those guys on on a guard at all times yeah. uh, in a playoff series. So I think they're they're going to be really good against guard heavy teams. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Kassan has been honestly one of the one of the biggest surprises from the rookie class this season. I think a lot of people were, you know, when OKC took him at twelve, I think a lot of people thought it would be a good pick, but he's definitely exceeded expectations early on. Um, and yeah, like you said, OKC has really tremendous uh, perimeter defenders, but I, I do worry about the lack of interior presence outside of Chet because Chet has been fantastic, but uh, yeah, they, they're definitely going to need some depth behind him. Uh, and another team that I think will, will cause a lot of problems with their size is going to be the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, obviously, we saw how they used their size against the Nuggets last year, uh, despite getting swept. Uh, but, th- but that's another team that definitely will put a lot of pressure on the Thunder, um, on, on the boards and just in the paint in general. So I think that, you know, like you said, there's plenty of guys to, to throw at uh, big time scorers on the perimeter, like in Anthony Edwards. But how do you see OKC matching up with the Timberwolves given uh, – their twin towers approach. Now, now that is an interesting one. And um, it has a little bit of, of history building here. They played in the play in last year. Oh, Obviously the, right. the yeah. Timberwolves kind of smacked them in that game. And then they just played in the end season tournament a couple of days ago. Yep. And it was a really, really close game. Jalen Williams had a pretty Jalen Williams, you know, J-Dub had a pretty rough game. It was his first game back from injury. Um, I think if he was his normal self, they win that game. Yeah, 106-103 Minnesota. So yep. close game. Uh, it was definitely a playoff intensity kind of vibe in that game. All the in-season tournament games I watched them this year ha- were really intense. So oh, yeah, absolutely. Love to see that. As far as, you know, the big men go, I think Rudy Gobert would be the main target. Now, Rudy did play really well in the second half against uh, OKC in that in-season tournament game. And he was kind of, uh, he made he made Chet look scared in a way. Chet was kind of scared to, to take a three-pointer even over him. So I think the next time they play, it's going to be, you know, Chet has been, you know, 16 games or whatever it's been, 18 games. He's been learning and growing from all of these games. You know, the first time he played the Bulls in the very first game, he was getting dominated by well, who Andre Drummond. Yeah. And then second game, he came out and kicked their ass. So I'm I'm excited to see the way he bounces back against them. Um, but I think I think go the Oklahoma City team, they might have the perfect team to play Gobert off the off the court in a playoff series. Yeah, I think you're right, given like the way they can run five out and they can really space and like be very switchy on both ends of the court. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. And I, I do think um, we were talking about this earlier with Mitch, like Gobert's been really good this season. Uh, but I think he's about as good as he's been basically going back to his Utah days. And I, I think he's probably the leader for defensive player of the year, but he does still have those same concerns of um, in a playoff series when a team is playing you seven times in a row, you know, how does he match up? So yeah, I definitely think OKC can exploit that in the same way that I think Minnesota will try to exploit it, you know, using their size, trying to dominate the glass, things like that. So that's a very interesting matchup to me. Two teams that, you know, coming into the season didn't have huge expectations necessarily, um, but have definitely uh, got off to a hot start playing some of the best basketball we've seen from them. How, how do you think um, the the sort of Ant SGA matchup would go? Because obviously, you know, your best option is putting Dort on Anthony Edwards, but I think in the big moments we would see Anthony Edwards guarding SGA. So, what do you think about that matchup? I 
I don't agree with that. I think they would go with uh, Alexander Walker on SGA. That's what they've been doing. And he's been pretty successful against SGA, obviously his cousin. I, th- I think that would be the matchup. But um, as far as who would guard Anthony Edwards, I could see. I mean, Shea, there's a real argument that Shea has been the best defensive player on the Thunder this year. Him or Lou Dort on, on Anthony Edwards, I feel pretty good about that. I think Edwards uh, once, you know, I feel like when I've watched him this season, he seems like almost like a volume kind of guy. But I think when you get to the playoffs and everything slows down, I think uh, he's a killer. So it would be tough. It's, it's going to be tough to contain his greatness. But I think at at the same time, it's going to be tough to contain SGA. So I think they would both, you know, do numbers. I think the, the real weakness for Minnesota would be Rudy Gobert trying to guard out on the perimeter. Yeah, that's, that's always going to be the X factor for this team is just how does Gobert – sustain when it gets to the playoffs but yeah this this is a matchup i would love to see i think you know just based off of the in-season tournament game like that was a lot of fun i, I just think these teams i don't know whether or not it would go seven i i think that okc has the talent advantage and so i would lead them in probably six games or so but could absolutely see this going seven games i think to be an electric series between two teams like really trying to prove themselves you know like Ant and sj on that stage guys that haven't really had opportunities to really prove themselves on that sort of in that setting so I think that would be a killer series. That'd be a ton of fun to watch. It really would be. Next team I want to get to, not necessarily that they're the third best team in the West or anything like that, but I want to get to the Lakers because I just think they're a very interesting team when you look at them from a playoff perspective because as long as they do get into the playoffs, you know, you have to imagine that they're going to be one of the toughest outs. You, you got to give them that that credit and that respect given you know what LeBron's still doing in year 21. But this is a team that I think could get absolutely run off the floor by OKC if OKC is playing at a really high level. I mean, we saw it in their one matchup this season. They won by 20-plus. And I think the key in an OKC-Lakers matchup is the pace. Because absolutely. if OKC can run up the pace and really get to like a high-flying level like they have been for most of the season, like I think they can run them off the floor. This is a pretty old Lakers team, a team that, especially when we get to the playoffs, wants to be methodical, run half-court offense. So I think whoever can really control the pace would be uh, – the clear favorites in the series, but uh, do you think OKC would be the favorite or do you lean LeBron because it's LeBron? I would pick, you know, t- right now I would pick OKC in, in that series. Uh, now, granted, we just saw this matchup and OKC did run them off the floor. It was a uh, pr- pretty big beat down. I think 20 plus 23 points, I believe. And, and, and exactly what you said, you know, in the first quarters, the Lakers were really controlling the tempo, slowing it down, kind of playing their game. And then uh, a flip switched and OKC really sped things up and their youth and their athleticism. It was it was impossible for the Lakers to keep up with that. And, you know, it's the regular season. And a lot of these guys on the Lakers, including LeBron, they don't give a shit about playing defense yeah, on I'd a night to night basis. LeBron, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, LeBron James does not give a shit about playing defense night 17 in the season. Uh, so, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt. It's just one game. But the Thunder are so deep, and the Lakers have a tendency to get to the playoffs injured. I just think that – I think if, uh, if, if this series were to happen, it would be a really, really bad matchup for the Lakers – uh, I don't think they have a guy that could slow down SGA at all. 
No, not even. No, not not even like an option. Not even like I'm. No, like I don't even know who they. Who who would even be their go to? Like who are they starting? I mean, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like there's really there's really not a good answer there. I like. Actually, I think it's gonna be Alex Caruso. I think that's the answer. Alex Caruso, damn. <laughs> I do think he's going to the Lakers. So I think really, I do, I do. Yeah, me and me and Mitch talked about some Bulls trades, and it just feels like I mean, like I said, like he would be good on all thirty teams. He would make them better, but it just feels like the Lakers, given that they have a draft pick still available that has a lot of value, and he's such obviously a seamless fit. We've already seen it, so I just feel like they're going to be pursuing him as hard as anybody, uh, and. They have enough, like, I feel like they have enough assets to go get him. So it just feels like that's where he's going to land, assuming he is traded. But I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, that would be a great addition and one that makes a ton of sense for them. But uh, Alex Caruso, I think, is probably the most valuable guy on the Bulls at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So uh, them trading him means they're tanking. So that one, that has to happen. I'm not sure that they want to do that. Um, they're committed to Billy Donovan and we don't have to get into the bulls right now, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I see that, but okay. If, if Alex Caruso was on the team, then yes, I could see that. Um, however, I would still like the thunder in that matchup. I think, uh, just their, their depth, their length, um everything against this team it kind of adds up in their favor in my opinion yeah the only real advantage that i think the lakers will have in this series is just the lebron factor of it like even like we mentioned with denver and minnesota with the size disadvantage the lakers don't really have that like they have a lot of big players like tall players but like they're not necessarily like a physically imposing team like christian wood doesn't scare me as far as his size goes, like Anthony Davis sure when he wants to be, you know, like 62% of the time, but he ultimately, you know, we're getting out of him. It really just feels like the Lakers only hope in, in this sort of matchup is that LeBron just dominates, you know, every single possession, he controls the pace of the game and is just methodical and just grinds out a seven game series. But yeah, on paper, they don't, they don't match up well with OKC at all. I think that OKC would be the favorite especially with the way the Lakers look now. Like, I feel like, uh, at least myself, I expected the Lakers to be a lot better. So given this current version of the Lakers that we've seen, yeah, I I definitely feel like OKC would be the favorite. I mean, uh, another thing is, I think Chet could be on Anthony Davis in that series. We saw a lot of that matchup in the game the other night. I don't know if you saw that sweet uh, post move that Chet had on him, the and one. I did not. Oh, dude, you got to go and watch that. He, it, it looks like almost exactly like Kevin Durant. It's kind of freaky. Mm. Yeah, but, Chad, uh, Chad kind of does have a little KD to his game. I'm not going to lie. I mean, that's his favorite player. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah, they're super, you know, he's super long. He wears Kevin Durant's shoes. Um, But yeah, that's it's super reminiscent of that. And I think this series, uh, as a Thunder fan, I'm, I'm drawing this comparison. I don't think anyone else is thinking about this. This Thunder team is like the 2010 Thunder team to me, which the the 2010 Thunder team was like that first year where they made the playoffs and they surprised everybody by winning 50 games. Hmm. Who they match up with in the first round that year? Do you know? Ah, it was the Lakers. The the Kobe Lakers that won the championship. That's right. Uh, I think it was a six game series. Yeah. So I think that would be a little history repeats itself kind of situation. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, I don't think that LeBron is winning finals MVP this year, though. 
I mean, if he does, shit. I mean, if him, Davis bro. could even play as well as Pogasol because Pogasol was so good back then, man. Dude. Like I remember thinking, not that he was ever going to win Finals MVP, but like yeah, he he was that good. Like he he was he was so good. Yeah, people, he, he was even in Memphis, he was so good. People don't remember him. Yeah, yeah. People, I don't, I don't think anyone really remembers his, his Memphis career. Yeah, but yeah, he, he was a dog. I don't, I don't know uh, if we're getting that version of the Lakers again this season, but. Yeah, that would be pretty cool to see the matchup again because um, now that you mentioned it, I think uh, I don't remember who, who I was listening to, but someone else beginning of the season made that same comparison. It was Bill the, Simmons. It was Bill Okay, I was going to say that, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there, there are definitely some similarities there, so that would be interesting. And I do think there's a lot of potential for OKC to be a 51 team. We'll talk about sort of like their season outlook at the end. But yeah, I, I think that uh, there's a lot of similarities there for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, Let's move to uh, a team that, you know, OKC is now very familiar with, having played them three times already this season, the Golden State Warriors. Now, OKC is 2-1 and one in the season series. Could have been 3-0, and oh, of course. If you remember, they had the very controversial ending in their first God match of the it. season with the basket interference uh, situation. So this is another one where I think this would be a really fun matchup to watch. Like, I, I think, you know, which is what we've seen already in the regular season. Like, these teams give us very entertaining basketball. Uh, so I, I would love to see the matchup in a series. I think there is still a lot left to be determined in terms of how good are the Warriors actually. So I can see a world in which the Warriors are considered still the favorites. But given the way things are going, the, you know, the way things are trending right now, it feels like the Warriors are more of like a play-in team and they'd be lucky to see OKC maybe in like the first round. So without knowing exactly what version of the Warriors we're getting, how do you think OKC fares in a matchup? I think this one would be a worse matchup for the Thunder than uh, a Lakers series. Um, I think it would be tough. I think every game would be tough. Golden State has the shooting, obviously, to, you know, the Thunder have been a really good three-point shooting team this year. So, you know, Golden State, you know, meets that mark, or they have the ability to. I think they they can D up, and obviously, we're talking about a team with all the experience versus a team with none. So... Uh, as far as playoffs are concerned. So I don't love that matchup. And obviously 2016 flashbacks don't like that, mm. but it would be nice. It would be nice to beat them. <laughs> certainly would. Yeah, absolutely. They do play again, actually, this week coming up. Wow. Four times in the first two months of the season. That's crazy. Yeah, they got one of the TBD games. Oh, okay. Right. I still don't fully understand how that works. I, I don't feel like the NBA did a great job of explaining how the schedule works because I, I saw people even like on the TV broadcast talking about how teams are going to Vegas for like now that there's eight teams left. But the, you know, the quarterfinal or whatever, the, the round of eight, like those are still played at like the, the higher seed teams arena. Like That's home. right. So like, they haven't really done a great job of explaining it. I don't really understand how because I know like they left some blank games in there to fill out for, you know, the teams that didn't make it to the knockout stage. But yeah, that, that's weird. So it was just like, do, are those like randomly assigned or how do they determine those TBD games? Yeah, so it's all the teams that didn't make it. Um, every team had two on their, their calendar, like a home and away. And um, I think it was just non-divisional teams in the same conference, maybe. Gotcha. I think that's how it works. Interesting. Well, I'm complaining because Warriors OKC has been you know, really good at basketball so far this season. The second matchup, uh, OKC won by 20. But all in all, there's been some really good basketball between those two teams. Yeah, so, Steph yeah. didn't play in that game, I'm pretty sure. So. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yep. 
So yeah, th- these teams match up pretty well. They the um two I think you know you you mentioned three point shooting. They're both capable three point shooting teams, but I do feel like stylistically it is sort of a clash of two different styles, which is always that's always much more fun in a playoff series when you get two very different teams going at each other and you see how that sort of matches up rather than you know two teams that play the same way who can do a better type of thing. Yeah, I would be I would be very much looking forward to a Warriors Thunder series. I think that would be very entertaining. I would probably lean OKC just because I don't have a lot of faith in the Warriors today, but obviously a lot can change between now and you know late April, May. So that'll be one to keep an eye on for sure. I want to move now to the Suns, who coming into the season were definitely contenders. They stand at 11 and 8 right now. Obviously, Bradley Beal has not played for them, so we still haven't seen them at full strength. Uh, definitely could be one of the contenders in the West if uh, if everything clicks for them. So I want to get into how OKC matches up with them. Now, like I said before, I see a little bit of KD and Chet's game. I would love to see them going at it in a uh, in a seven-game series. I don't know how much they would match up against each other necessarily, although Durant does play a little bit of that small ball five. So I do think we would see a little bit of that. But uh, what are your overall thoughts on a Suns-Thunder playoff series? I think this would be a fun series. Obviously, it, it depends all on uh, who's available for Phoenix. I think we would see a decent amount of, Ch- of KD versus Chet. They matched up against each other pretty consistently in the one game they played this year. I believe the Thunder won that game. No Bradley Beal, though. But the Suns, I'm just not high on them in general as far as a, a playoff team. I really think I don't I don't like the top heavy roster build in the NBA and, and you're going against one of the deepest teams in the NBA. So, you know, if you're going to be playing these borderline wouldn't be on other NBA team guys in a playoff series. I don't like that for the Suns. However, I think they're the number one team uh, to make moves the trade dead deadline this year. Really? I think Absolutely. I think they have, uh, you know, the season's been good and is, has been going good enough to where I feel like it's justified to, to spend a little bit more on this team. And, you know, you do have the three guys you have to win now. It's I mean, you have Kevin Durant, 35 years old. I feel like you have a lot of pressure to win and you have a lot of holes in your roster, I feel like. So I think they're going to make some moves. I don't think this team is a finished product yet. You have to take that into consideration. It would be it, it's a close matchup, man. I mean, Booker, SGA, you know, Chet's not on Katie's level by any means, but those two, you can see how they match up. Yeah. I mean, I really that would be you know box office kind of kind of shit for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think to be fair, like OKC is a very fun team to watch, and so as long as they're matched up against another good team, which is obviously like that's what the playoffs are it's going to be fun basketball. Like uh, OKC is just going to produce a lot of fun moments in the playoffs. I think just they're, they're just a very talented and a very fun team to watch. To go back to your son's point though, like, yeah, sure. It's definitely not a complete roster finished product, but what move is there to make, you know, because outside of, you know, Grayson Allen's $9 million expiring, they don't really have much in terms of, you know, salary that they can move. So I just don't really know what the move would be. I agree that like they probably should do something, but I just don't know what, options have available yeah they are kind of limited and they traded you know so many picks yeah right i don't think they have any picks left so they might have one that they got this year maybe not though they already traded in bradley beal trade i'm gonna be honest like two years ago i was so good at knowing like who has what picks and like what picks are in what spots how many picks teams have left 
the past two years of all these trades, I've completely lost track. I don't know at all anymore. Anytime someone just trades for a superstar, I just assume that they don't have picks anymore. But I, I used to be so good at it, and now I just have no clue of who has what picks. Right. I think once the Celtics started trading picks, I just couldn't keep up anymore. I think that's what it was. Let me see here. Looks like, yeah, they have they have a couple of second round picks to trade. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, they did. I, they did that weird trade where they netted themselves like a bunch of seconds. So yeah, they could do that. But yeah, I just I just don't know what much more they can do because like Grayson Allen has been good for them, honestly. So like maybe like I'm looking here like Nasir Little is on like six mil a year for the next few years. Maybe someone takes a flyer on him. But like it's really just it's the three big guys. It's Nurkic, Allen, and then a bunch of minimums. So. I don't really feel like they have much flexibility. Maybe they can go get one more guy just to add for the rotation, but like nothing. Well, they're really... a buyout team as well. I think. Yeah. Yeah. True. Maybe they can get some of the buyout market, but for the most part, I think this is uh this is the group that they got. And so. Well, fair enough. I mean, you brought facts and logic into this, so <laughs> I have to, I have to respect it. I think if this is, if it's, this is the team, I really like the Thunder's chances to at least push this into a six or seven game series. I think uh, that is not on the radar for like the casual NBA fan at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, the casual NBA watcher is probably assuming that the Suns would be heavily favored in the series, just given the bigger names that they have on the roster. But I would I would also like OKC in the series, I think, because like you said, I'm not really a big believer in the Suns. I do think they have a lot of potential, like if everything's clicking and, and like they're they're sort of rolling at the end of the regular season, I could see them being a spoiler. And, you know, taking someone down in a first round series, you know, KD shoots 52% from three bookers averaging in your triple double, whatever. I could see that. But as far as them winning four playoff rounds, it's very far fetched. Like you said, the top heavy roster construction is just not the way to go. Uh, they're going completely in the opposite direction of the way I think the NBA is moving with like, you know, the star. Duos. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not a believer in them as someone that could actually make the finals or maybe even a conference finals. But given the firepower that they do have, you could definitely see them winning around. So it, it would, that's why it makes a matchup with OKC so interesting because I can see a world in which OKC just thoroughly outplays them because just top to bottom, they're a better team. You know, they have more talent. They, you know, it fits better together, better depth. But there's also a world in which KD just goes nuclear and Booker does as well because that's just the type of players that they are. And, you know, they win it in six or seven. So that's something that would be really interesting to me. To wrap up here, we can at least show a little bit of respect to the Mavericks. They've been playing well this season. So I guess we can we can briefly talk about them. I think, honestly, the Mavs just don't have the defense. Like, it, it's that simple for me. Like, they, they've been relying all season on, like, the heroics of Luka and Kyrie to right. win those games. Yes, that is kind of what playoff basketball boils down to in a lot of ways. But I just don't think that they can consistently expect to be in these close games given their their lack of defensive personnel. So I think OKC would be um, – they'd be able to take care of them. I don't want to say easily, but I think it would be one of those five-game series where they're all relatively close scores, but you kind of knew the whole time that OKC was the better team. I think it may be a little harder than that, especially given Luka's track record of just you know carrying right. in yeah. the playoffs. However, That's why I think they'd be close games, but I do think OKC is just better. Yeah, as you mentioned, and this goes for the Suns too, in my opinion, one of the most effective lineups that OKC has had this season has been when the bench unit comes in for the other team. Now, it's not necessarily going to be the same in the playoffs, but uh, when you get uh, SGA and Isaiah Joe, basically SGA and shooters yeah. versus the other team has like a uh, some bench players out there. 
that lineup is destroying teams. Yep. SGA and I, plus Isaiah Joe. I was looking this up earlier for a post later, but that's like a top five duo in terms of plus minus or top three, maybe they're killing it. Yeah. And uh, throw Case and Wallace. It's been uh, Isaiah Joe, Case and Wallace, and uh, Kendrick Williams subbing in. And that's that's just such a deadly three. So I think if you extrapolate that over seven games, that really adds up to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I like them. Uh, I like them over the mass for sure. And we do got to get out of here, but I will say shout out to the Kings. I think they're a formidable playoff team. Maybe not a contender, but definitely a team that the Thunder could see. I think that would be a good matchup as well. Two teams that really like to get up and down. Uh, but we won't go too in-depth on that. We got to wrap up here. Before we get out of here, Josie's got a plug that he actually wants, wants to give us today. So go ahead, Josie. Yes, I actually have something today. So if you've uh, liked what you've heard here, I have a uh, a Twitter page right now, but basically this is just going to be a holdover until I drop my podcast. It's going to be a Thunder podcast. It's going to be 25-minute episodes uh, two or three times a week. Name TBD, everything TBD, but I'm working with some OKC content creators to kind of bring some different perspectives, make it a little more you know fun. I feel like a lot of OKC podcasts kind of skew the same way, and uh, we're trying to make it a little more fun. So follow me uh, on Twitter X at Total Thunder Guy. Give me a follow over there and then uh, I'll let everybody know when the podcast is up. All right, man. I'm very excited. Um, obviously, you know, I have you on the podcast because I think you're you're a talented speaker of the game. So excited to uh, see what you do uh, on your own platform. Very excited to see it. So, yeah, go follow. What is it? At Total Thunder Guy? That's right. Yeah. All right. Make sure you give him a follow. And uh yeah, make sure you listen to the podcast when that comes out. Thank you guys for listening to this podcast, and we'll be back soon next week with another episode.